this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I'm going to discuss drafting white-black in March the Machine. As always, the uh, notes for this podcast are available at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. The first thing to know is that white-black is the least successful color pair, according to 17 Lands. It's about almost a full percent behind the second least winning two-color archetype. It is drafted just a touch more, very, very similar amount to slash then Boros, and it's drafted more than Simic, Golgari, and Gruul. I suspect the reason for that is that green decks in this format very rarely end up two colors. They're usually playing enough cards of different colors that they end up not being classified as two-color decks according to 17 lands. So white-black splashes less and therefore ends up being a you know two-color deck more often than those green decks. It kind of makes sense that white-black is not very popular or effective in this uh, format just due to the gold uncommons. The signpost uncommons are often important parts of archetypes that uh, tell you when and how to draft them, let you know that a color pair is open, stuff like that. The problem is that the white and black uncommons in this set are very weak. Sculpted Perfection, the um, enchantment that incubates two and gives your Phyrexians plus one plus one, is the best of them, and uh, according to the stats, it's basically a replacement level card, while both Verja, the white-black angel from Kaldheim, and Invasion of New Capenna are very unsuccessful and heavily played in the archetype, according to 17 Lambs. So people are still kind of drafting and playing these cards, but these cards are not doing well. Perhaps white-black decks would be more successful if people just gave up on these uncommons, but then still that means that you don't get the benefit of you know, getting these kind of like late pick gold cards that are particularly good in your deck that uh, you would get with another archetype. So white-black is playing from a bit of a, you know, disadvantage there compared to the other color pairs. In addition to that, white-black is in a bit of an awkward position in the metagame, uh, strategically speaking. Like, it wants to play longer games to take advantage of, like, the incubate tokens and its strong removal, but... It's hard to have as much power in the late game with like a straight white-black deck as some of the green decks that get to just get to like splash a lot of bombs and uh, like the blue decks that have a lot of card advantage. You're kind of priced into just playing more of a fair game. So you kind of get a little like squeezed or it's hard to really like find your spot if you don't just have a bunch of good rares that happen to be in your two colors or whatever. This means that white-black often finds itself trying to play more of, like, a disruptive aggro role, but, like, small game, where, like, you know, you play some creatures that don't cost very much mana. They don't hit very hard, but you, like, get some points in and then, you know, kill your opponent's creatures and uh, then kind of just try to get them, like dead in a sort of like grindy spot i don't know it th there are a couple of different ways it can go specifically i think that there are basically like two different white black strategies there's like phyrexian aggro 
which is kind of based around Phyrexian Sensor and Sculpted Perfection, the Uncommons, Phyrexian Sensor being the 3-mana three 3-3 three, three that uh, makes non-Phyrexian creatures enter the battlefield tapped, and players can't cast more than one non-Phyrexian spell per turn. And Sculpted Perfection is the like anthem for Phyrexians that incubates two that I mentioned before. If you have both of those cards, ideally multiples of them, and then just a bunch of Phyrexian creatures, you can have a reasonable like tribal aggro deck. Still want some removal or tricks or whatever, but that's there. And then there's also just kind of like a pure attrition version of white black that doesn't really care about Phyrexians as a type and uh, just cares about like value cards and good removal and bombs. That one's going to come down really, really heavily to opening good rares. There are some very good rares in white and black. There are very good rares in any color in this set. But, you know, there are some uh, white and black rares that play particularly good long games. Um, you know, you're looking for Sunfall, Elishnorn, Shieldred, other Elishnorn, other Shieldred, the white XX, Incubate X guy, Breach the Multiverse. Invasion of Fiora, I think I mentioned Sunfall already, the Valkyrie, the 4-4 Death Touch uh, backup guy. There, there are a lot of strong, you know, like late game cards that would reward you for just kind of having that sort of like value plus removal kind of typical limited control deck kind of thing. And yeah, so basically, you know, like you're not going to build a white-black deck out of commons. There's no reason to do that. You shouldn't be looking to play white-black. You shouldn't be like positioning yourself in white-black speculatively. So you're really just like playing uh, white-black when some cards have put you there. And either those cards are just generically powerful bombs or they're like focused on commons. And that's largely going to determine whether you're thinking of yourself more as like a Phyrexian aggro deck um, or whether you're thinking of yourself as just like a bombs-based control deck. Unsealed the Necropolis is particularly important in white-black, uh, kind of for both of those decks, since I think they're both going to rely pretty heavily on some key creatures and also they're going to want some card advantage, which you don't have much of outside of that. Unsealed Necropolis being uh, two and a black instant, both players mill three, then return two creatures from your graveyard to your hand. So I, I think that that's kind of what's going on with white-black, like positionally. Big picture as far as which cards you want in card evaluation. Part of what's happening with white-black is that the creatures are just bad, like the common creatures. Basically, all of the creatures that cost more than three mana, well, sorry, three or more mana, are pretty bad, especially if they don't give you some kind of immediate value. Like, the best of them is Knight of the New Coalition, the four mana 2-2 two -two that makes another 2-2, two -two, and that's, like, the value guy that's available. There are a lot of, like, three and four mana creatures that, like, don't generate immediate value, and you just don't really want to play any of them. You're pretty happy to play, like, most of the cards that incubate um, in your colors. Like, the discard spell and the potential shatter are fine, you know, random uh, cheap cards that you can play. But, yeah. So, getting into more details. I, I did, you know, look on 17 lands to look at, like, uh, overrated and underrated commons and uncommons. Um, so, like... Underrated commons, these are commons that 
people don't play very much and or take pretty late relative to their game in hand win rate. So these are cards to be looking out for if you're white black. Unseal the Necropolis. And then all of Flywheel Racer, Skittering Surveyor, and Urn of Godfire. They all have very small numbers played and a much higher win rate than the other white and black commons. This uh, is getting back to what I said I would come back to earlier about splashes. The data really strongly, relative to how much the data usually can speak to this, suggests that splashing is good in this archetype by showing that the cards that enable splashing overperform, indicating that like when people put the cards that let them splash in their deck, meaning when they're splashing, they do well. And so, you know, it makes complete sense, given what I'm talking about in white-black, that you want to be playing kind of longer games a lot of the time, um, and that there are some holes that you'd be better off if you, you know, splash some good uh, late-game or defensive cards from other colors. Especially since there are those three different colorless commons that can make fixing pretty easy. And, like, Flywheel Racer is easy to take advantage of, that's the two mana three two vehicle through one that can tap for a mana of any color if it's a creature. That's easy to take advantage of because Icker Drinker, um, the one mana one one lifelink vampire that you can spend a black to exile and incubate to, from your graveyard to incubate two, is a pretty good, relatively good creature in the deck. So it's not hard to have um, like one mana creatures. Uh, the backup one mana creatures are okay um, in both white and black, Scornblade Berserker, and uh, less so the white one. And so you can have these like one ones that make it easy to crew the flywheel racer, that make it a fine card to play, even if you're not splashing. You're playing like a long enough game that Urn of Godfire as an additional removal spell wouldn't be horrible. Skittering Surveyor gives you value in your like grindy deck and then these also let you splash good cards like blue ones also green goes really well with uh, a lot of what's going on in white black and sometimes you can end up in like a mardu sack kind of space i suppose on the other side we have overrated commons uh, these are the opposite so cards that people play in large numbers or take highly but that don't win very much Infected Defector, that's the 5-mana 4-3 that uh, incubates 3 when it dies. Icker Shade, that's the 3-mana 2-3 that grows at the end of your turn if something died this turn. Attentive Skyward, and that's the Wind Drake that can transform Phyrexian tokens, or incubate tokens. Etched Familiar, that's the 3-2 Phyrexian that drains your opponent for 2 when it dies. Aetherblade Agent, the 1-1 uh, Death Touch that you can transform into a 3-3 Death Touch that draws a card when it damages your opponent. Alabaster Host Intercessor, a card that I don't love in other places, actually works pretty well in white-black, um, since it works well with splashing and well with your general like slow game plan and well with your unseals. Uh, Alabaster Host Sanctifier, the 2-mana two 2-2 two -two lifelink, does uh, underperform because... Uh, 2-2 two, two lifelinks just don't matter very much in the format. Uh, your life total is not the like primary axis through which you're pressured. And then Realm Breaker's Grasp, this is the pacifism variant, is taken a little too highly. I wouldn't say that it's like specifically played in greater numbers than it should be in white black for the most part. You know, based on its win percentage, it's not like out of line. But uh, it's certainly, you know, people are taking it much higher than they're taking better cards. And then overrated uncommons. 
invasion of Belanon. Uh, that's the uh, invasion that makes it 2-2 Vigilance and then flips into a Glorious Anthem, performs horribly. Tiller of Flesh, also very, very bad. Four mana, 2-4 Knight that uh, incubates two when you target a creature. Seraph of New Capenna, the Wind Drake that can flip into a bad Fallen Angel. Uh, invasion of New Capenna, the um, battle that sacks something to kill something and flips into the equipment for the white-black uncommon battle. Completed Huntmaster. This one actually surprised me. Uh, Completed Huntmaster is the 3-mana 2-3 that can spend one and tap and sack something to um, incubate three. Uh, I've liked that card, but it has not performed well overall, so I don't know. Watch out. Uh, Nizumi Freewheeler, the 4-mana uh, 3-3 three, three that uh, mills and then transforms into something that gets a 2-mana creature back. Persia and Phyrexian Gargantua. So a long list of uh, overrated uncommons. Just a lot of uncommons that people are putting in their deck, even though they perform even worse than the commons. Part of what's going on, you know, it's just a lot of bad cards in this archetype. It's it's, it, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's a tough archetype. And then there were no underrated rares because people take rares so highly on arena, just like because you get the rare and playing with rares is sweet and stuff. So yeah, there are no like rares that are secretly good that no one is like, no one knows about or whatever uh, in this color combination. However, there are a number of overrated rares. So to consider a rare overrated, I was looking at cards that are taken below fifth pick on average. So like in the first four picks, and win less than 53% of the time. The, you know, the average amount for a card, like white-black wins like 54%. So these are rares that when you draw them, you're winning more than 1% below your baseline. So the, the rare is probably hurting you compared to just like, you know, some other card you could have taken. So Heliod, the Radiant Dawn, is the, this is in order uh, lowest win rate to highest win rate. So worst to take to best take. Heliod is the 4-mana four 4-4 four, four that returns an aura or god or demigod. Maybe, no, enchantment god or demigod. Um, and then flips into a 4-6 that lets you play your spells at instant speed and they cost one less for each uh, card your opponent's drawing this turn. Thalia, Guardian of Thraben. That's 2-mana uh, Thalia. 2-1 first strike. Non-creature spells cost one more. Invasion of Gobakan is the 2-mana white battle that looks at your opponent's hand and makes one of the cards cost two more and then flips into the light shield that pumps your attackers and protects your creatures. Anafenza, Kintree Spirit, that's uh, the Multiverse Legends 2-2 two -two for white-white that uh, bolsters when you play a creature. Obosh, the Prey Piercer, the Odd Numbers Companion. Ayara, Widow of the Realm, that's the new Ayara, the... 3-mana uh, 3-3 three 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 that sacks creatures to drain your opponent and transforms into a thing that reanimates. So watch out for those rares. So numbers on, you know, cards being uh, overrated or underrated are coming from what people are doing. So there are people out there making these mistakes. So try not to be among those people. As for drafting, like, again, it's tricky because... The signposts are so bad 
that like you can't really use them as an indicator that white black is open or that you should be drafting white black which means that you should mostly be drafting it when you just like happen to get st strong rares in both colors and you should never like speculatively try to position yourself in white black because it's not very successful this is to try to speak to the like well when should i draft this deck and the answer is like i don't know you got a good rare in each of the colors and you want to play with both of them and they cost you know white white and black black and then when you are white black you know as i talked about you should be prioritizing colors fixing so that you can like uh splash or pivot out of white black you should generally like prioritize removal and value creatures and avoid expensive spells and three to five mana bodies that don't offer immediate card advantage that's like the general lesson for those who have been watching uh the stream today for a while i actually just drafted a deck after i um, took these notes and prepared this podcast i started streaming and drafted a deck where early on i had i think i first picked the uh four mana four four death touch black creature but maybe no i first picked final flourish the minus two minus two instant got past the four four death touch black creature and then got past two Norns Inquisitors, the one one that incubates two and pumps your incubators. So I was starting black card, black card, white card, white card, um, just because those were the good cards that I saw. So it was very much just, well, I'm here because I got two good black cards into two good white cards. And then I took a skittering surveyor at some point, kind of speculatively, and then I got an Oracle of Tragedy and then a bunch of duels and ended up playing a four-color grindy deck from my white-black core, where I was kind of, you know, dead even, equally Esper, uh, with a green splash, um, with not fantastic mana, but it didn't really matter because I was playing such a, like, controlling deck that I had a lot of time and draw steps to find my mana. That deck performed very well. I went 7-1 and one with that. And I think that um, it was a good example of how you should be you know flexible and willing to add colors to your white black deck and given that white black is just pretty shallow in terms of like good cards that you want to play um just don't take the bad white and black cards and look for cards that um you know you can splash in other colors to build towards some kind of cohesive strategy or just increase your power level that was you know a draft where i certainly could have gone blinders on phyrexians or whatever and i just think that you should generally avoid doing that and that's what i have to say about white black so i'm gonna turn it over to twitch chat for follow-up and additional questions on stuff i didn't touch on or cover or people want more explanation on um this is of course where i would Thank uh, the new patrons, patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. Um, unfortunately, no new patrons this week, but I would encourage anyone to check out that website and see if any of the benefits offered appeal to you or if you have just been uh, getting a lot out of the podcast and um, want to support us. Uh, yeah, go to patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes to do that. Thoughts on the battle fan? and Invasion of Agrotha, and the 4-drop Bola, uh, the Bola Slinger. Battlefan is an acceptable, like, filler combat trick. It's not as good as, like, the good removal, but it's better than most of the bad creatures. Invasion of Agrotha 
is a card that I was impressed with early because you know I played some games where it like killed one of my creatures and then they transformed it and then the thing that it transformed into mattered and like you know there's the battles like every battle has a pretty high ceiling like when you're in a spot where you can actually transform a battle right away it's almost always going to be great but as people get like more familiar with the format and better at you know understanding when and which tricks to use um and stuff like that it's starting to feel like the sor expensive sorcery speed removal battles end up being on the clunky side and don't perform super well so i think ogratha is an acceptable tool in some control decks but not really a priority and then Bola Slinger is the second best four mana creature in uh, most white black decks. So worse than Knight of the New Coalition, but better than like almost every other creature that costs more than two mana. I think you you know want to be careful to probably only play it in reasonable aggressive decks or at least decks with some battles if they're not generally aggressive. But it does you know do a decent value creature impression since it makes another creature bigger and kind of has like um a decent like spell like you know immediate impact on the board tapping one of their creatures um so if you are in a deck where you are likely to care about tapping one of their creatures then it's a pretty good card you mentioned Huntmaster, the two three black sack outlet uncommon um was a surprise to see is there potentially a way you were using the card the general player base might not be doing yeah, that's certainly possible. I think that in general, I am more likely to have a deck that has a cohesive plan for the very late game where attacking is not going to be a meaningful part of my plan for most games in a way that is functional. Whereas I think that the aggregate player is a little bit more likely to draft a deck that expects to attack the opponent as a like top priority and so given that i'm often not trying to attack having a two three that wants to just kind of like hang out untapped and threaten to block and make removal awkward and like let me chump block the small guys and make three threes is cohesively part of my plan to begin with whereas i suspect that people are probably playing the two three black creature in decks that are just kind of like looking to curve out an attack and then playing a three drop that you know has no meaningful ability if it's tapping to attack or that is just kind of hanging out and not attacking to hold the ability up in a deck where you're like you wanted to be playing a creature that could attack on that turn um yeah it's, it's pretty easy to see how like aggregate players could go wrong with the hunt master so that that could explain it having bad stats even though i like it good call there Spursia, Judge of Valor, a build-around for this color. It is dangerous to build your deck around a card that isn't good. However, that's not going to stop me from doing it. <laughs> I've played a decent amount of Persia in this set, and I haven't minded it. It certainly is kind of like the Huntmaster. It's not hard to have decks that are better or worse at playing Persia. Um, the more, like, if you have a way to have a deck that has a lot of cheap cards 
but also doesn't expect to empty its hand before it plays Frisia, then uh, it's a lot more likely that the card's going to work for you. Um, I think Frisia is probably at its best, despite its difficult mana casting cost, when there are more colors in your deck. Uh, I like it a lot with um, Seed of Hope in green. I like it with Meeting of the Minds in blue. I don't like it so much with like only white and black cards, though it can potentially perform well, especially if you somehow have a lot of Scornblade Berserkers and Unsealed Necropolises and maybe some of the Village Right reprint. So, yeah, I mean, there there are certainly ways to make Fersia better than other ways, but I can't confidently tell you that attempting to do that won't be a disaster. Uh, you mentioned the splash tools, earn flywheel and surveyor is underrated uh, beyond just white black. Do you think trying to splash is super important in this set to be successful? So the phrase super important to be successful implies to me that you can't be successful without doing it, which I do not feel is the case. I think that there are a lot of good two-color decks that don't want to splash. Uh, I think that, like, blue-black is pretty self-contained. It has, like, a lot of, you know, cohesive value engines, uh, a depth of good cards, and, like, it can start on the back foot but play a good tempo game in a way where, like, it doesn't necessarily want to mess around with other colors, though it can without much trouble. Uh, Blue-white knights is, like... a aggro tempo deck that really doesn't want to mess up its mana at all so and you know then there are just you know sometimes you just end up in a two color pair that's wide open and get a good aggressive deck the aggressive decks in general aren't great in this format but it can happen so i don't think that like you have to splash to be successful in this format but i do think that you are well served by having an openness to splash and a willingness to take strong cards in other colors and make it work given you know this set does have a lot of strong rares so i think that like toward your total win rate it is pretty good to be aware of when and how to splash as part of your like general format knowledge but i you know do think that you can be successful without doing it Drafting in pods at the Pro Tour, do you think it's still safe to take blue and black cards over decent green cards, for example? Or is blue and black going to be taken uh, high by too many players? So, certainly, how should I adapt my drafting strategy to the Pro Tour is a little off topic for this episode in particular, but given that the Pro Tour is coming up next week, and while I generally consider my aggregate audience not to be pros. I know that there are some people who are playing in the pro tour who are listeners. And I think that, you know, other people are potentially interested in how, you know, adjusting to that kind of situation can work. So I, I will speak to this. I think that it is worse to force blue black, like taking a bad blue black card over a good card of another color on the Pro Tour than it is on Arena. That said, I think that you, you know, should take good blue and black cards over decent green cards. Basically, I think that you want to try to draft straight up, basically. Like, 
take the good cards. Like everyone is going to know what everyone knows the best color is. Some people are going to have specific plans. Like I want to try to force it anyway, because it's the only thing that I figured out how to win with. Some are going to have specific plans. Like I think it's going to be overdrafted and I found this other thing that I like, and I'm going to draft that. But I think that uh, in general, it's best to just kind of draft normal. Uh, don't force, find what's right for your seat, take the best card each pack and make it work and just like don't get too psyched out about its a pro tour. Because I think that there are people who have like a wide range of approaches. And as far as just like big picture order of strength of colors type stuff, I think that everyone pretty much has the same information. Next up, if you make the scroll shift deck with the incubating enchantments, does the value of unsealed and Acropolis go down since you already have scroll shift in a similar role? Yes, but not for the reason implied there. Unsealed and Acropolis is worse if you're playing scroll shift and a bunch of cards that incubate that you can uh, scroll shift for value because a lot of the creature base that you're playing doesn't actually come from creature cards. And so it's going to like take longer to get to a point in the game where Unsealed and Acropolis actually has creatures you can return since there are just fewer creatures in your deck. Also, if you have to like fire off Unsealed and Acropolis while you have only one creature in your graveyard, you're less likely to mill a second creature. And then on top of that, yes, you don't want too many three mana instants that are trying to like provide card advantage in a way that doesn't impact the battlefield for the most part. But I think the bigger issue is just like, you know, in terms of, so I mentioned Unsealed and Acropolis being a good card in white black, but also your right to point to uh, the, the implication or assumption that scroll shift is good or part of a potential like strategy in white black where like you're using scroll shift as a source of incubate tokens. Like that, that's definitely true. That's a thing that you can do. And when you're doing that, Unseal is worse. But I want to point out that the real issue with Unseal there and the thing to watch out for with Unseal is the issue of like not having enough creatures to make Unseal good. There can be decks that have a very low creature count where Unseal is good because you're just committed enough to playing long games and the creatures that you have are important to loop. But you do want to watch out for... Um, you know that the the spot where you're talking about is a great example of a spot where unseal would be the wrong card for you and scroll shift would do a similar job better to make it a little better pack one pick one invoke dinosaur invasion of Amonkhet, training champion would you take the dino right so that's what i i believe that i would take the dinosaur i have not looked up recently if at all the exact win rate on Dinosaur to compare it to Amonkhet. So Ancient Imperiosaur, the Convoked Dinosaur, has a 60% game and hand win rate. Amonkhet uh, has a 62.6 game and hand win rate. So like theoretically, Invasion of Amonkhet is the uh, stronger card. I think that that pick is really, really close. I think it could go either way. I think that the stats on Invasion of Amonkhet and Ancient Imperiosaur are Amonkhet wins more, but it still has the benefit of being an underrated uncommon in good colors. And 
I suspect just from personal experience that the Convoke Dinosaur is probably actually a slightly stronger card than Invasion of Cat, even though Invasion of Cat has a higher game and hand win rate because the other stats put a reasonable asterisk there. I would not take Preening Champion out of that pack. I think that Invasion of Cat is probably better enough if I wanted to go that way, though they are close. I can't say for sure what I would do, and I feel like that's one where your personal deck preference rather than your metagame read is like reasonable to follow and take either one there. Invasion of New Capenna looks good in theory. What do you think makes it underperform? I think it's not trivial to get a thing that you actually don't care about to sacrifice. You end up with a bunch of like objects, but the objects are still like roughly tutus and sacrificing those isn't free and killing a thing often isn't that important which is a weird thing to say but like i don't know boards are like pretty wide and i don't know it's been just like clunkier than i expected in decks that i thought were supporting it pretty well it has this issue where like because it's a battle and like it gives you this equipment like you want to flip it early, but like because it's a removal spell that makes you sacrifice something, you can't just like fire it off on your opponent's first thing in a way that's particularly profitable. And so you just end up in this like awkward spot in terms of like finding the right time to use it. Like a lot of stuff has to line up right for it. And then I think that the like battles like collectively kind of underperform just because you can draw them in spots where you're not able to like attack and flip them and stuff and then invasion of new capenna just kind of has more different failure states Follow-up question about attentive sky warden so when i have played with attentive sky warden i've had multiple like three sculpted perfections and i think that both the fact that sculpted perfection gives you an incubate token and pumps the sky warden so the specific curve of sky warden into perfection is pretty good because you get to attack with a 3-3 flyer and then make a 3-3 but uh i think if you don't have exactly sculpted perfection just having a three mana 2-2 flyer that wakes up your incubate tokens to save you some mana isn't even that good so i think that like you genuinely need really really exceptional circumstances to play attentive sky warden and just like i'm playing a white black deck it has a decent amount of incubate the stats very strongly suggest that that's not enough in that sky warden has terrible stats threats versus re removal uh prioritization um so i mentioned that there are basically like two fundamental approaches to white black there is generic attrition control and then there is like Phyrexian aggro that kind of leans really heavily on Phyrexian sensor and sculpted perfection specifically. And I, I think the basic answer is the good commons in white and black are removal. Um, and so you should generally be prioritizing removal over threats. And I'm someone who generally values removal less than other players in aggregate. I think that most of the time you should expect that your white black deck is going to be more of a controlling attrition deck and you're there because of bombs and um you should you know be taking the good removal like uh deadly derision and stuff over like all of the commons 
and you should be taking the bad removal like the pacifism over all of the bad creatures thoughts on surge of salvation uh stats indicate that it's really bad in white black i think it's a card that you can theoretically play main if you have really high value bomb creatures to protect but um you shouldn't play it in general regarding a scroll shift deck is it worth splashing just for scab to add some inevitability to the deck uh assuming that you can do it without too much uh strain on your mana i'm a big fan of splashing scab in white black i would like it even more if you have both a scroll shift and an unseal and yeah i i personally really like scab in white black can you run nukapenna in the aggro Phyrexian deck theoretically is that where it would be good yes definitely the space where uh Invasion of Nukapenna is best, is in the Phyrexian aggro deck. Specifically, when you have like three plus Icker Drinkers, then I think it gets like really good. You want to watch out because I think if you have like three plus Phyrexian sensors, then it becomes problematic again just because battles are so bad with Phyrexian sensor. Um, but yeah, I mean, the ideal use case for uh, Invasion of Nukapenna is definitely the like Phyrexian aggro where you have Icker Drinker or some other, you know, random little body, uh, like an Incubate 2 token or whatever to sacrifice. And then all of your creatures are Phyrexian, so the Frazzle Cannon is very good. How high do you like Timurit to combat Graveyard Shenanigans? As much as I personally like Graveyard Shenanigans and get up to that kind of stuff, I wouldn't say most people do that. I think that it can come up but it's not like a big part of the format and so i don't think that like timrit's ability to interfere with my opponent's graveyard nonsense uh factors in very strongly to uh how valuable the card is and its casting cost as it turns out does factor in reasonably strongly best non-rare battle is it eldraine not a specific axis i've looked at or thought about no no it's almond cut <laughs> clearly it's not very close actually although weirdly the stats currently suggest that invasion of dominaria actually wins a little bit more in white black than invasion of almond cut but i'm just gonna say i don't believe it <laughs> in white black currently on 17 lands invasion of dominaria has a 54 4.5% game and hand win rate, while Invasion of Eldraine has a 51.3. So over 1% better for Dominaria, which is weird. Dominaria is not, in general, a very good battle. It doesn't perform very well. But I would not highly prioritize the non-rare battles outside of Amonkhet, personally, in white-black. Again, also because I do want to be in a spot where I can take take and take advantage of Phyrexian sensor, and I don't really want to have it and battles in my deck. Anyway, I think that's going to wrap it up. Thank you so much, chat, for uh, a lot of good questions here. And uh, I think everything's pretty normal in terms of uh, what you can expect moving forward. I'm going to be in Minneapolis for the Pro Tour this weekend, but that won't disrupt anything about the podcast. If you see me there, feel free to say hi. It's a giant event. You may or may not run into me. Yeah, I'll be back next week as usual. I'll be putting a poll up next week for uh, what's 
archetype I'll be covering. And yeah, have a good week, everyone. And for anyone who is especially playing in the Pro Tour, but also attending uh, Minneapolis and playing in any other events or just kind of doing anything that one might want luck for, uh, good luck and uh, bye for now. Prepare for light speed.